uh, okay or not. Sounds great. Yeah, now. <laughs> awesome. Welcome to Game of Nodes, a weekly podcast on Cosmos from independent validator teams. Okay, so now the phrase punking the guests. That's apparently what we're doing now. Hello and welcome to Game of Nodes, a weekly podcast on the Cosmos uh, from independent validator teams. And we have the lovely, lovely voiced Greg Asiri with us today, despite his complaints to the contrary. Um, thank you for humoring us, Greg. Um, we're going to be talking about, well, funnily enough, we're going to be talking about a cache today. Uh, is it, well, actually, first question, Greg, to kick us off, warm us up. Is it a cache or a cache? A cache. Huh. It's a cache. Oh, huh. Okay. And what is there a deeper meaning behind the name? Of course. A cache means the sky in Sanskrit or the ether, the first element in Sanskrit. That is uh, interesting. Since clouds are formed in the sky, and since Akash is a cloud, a cloud, or, or a marketplace or a meeting point for clouds, uh, the name was derived from there, <laughs> essentially. As soon as you pronounced it, Ash, I was like, he's going to say Sanskrit, and many of my ancestors are going to roll over in their graves. <laughs> so thank you for that. I now feel very embarrassed. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, so this week, uh, obviously, we've got Greg. We're going to talk quite a bit about Akash. Um, and, but to kick us off at the top of the show, we're going to do some regular follow-ups, um, basically rolling off of stuff we had last week. Um, and the three topics I've got on here are Doxgate, Brontide, and Prop 2021. I want to go with Brontide first because that is the most personally exciting. So Usurper, you have some thoughts on this excellent band. Well, I think I've been kind of falling based on your some of your recommendations and kind of where Spotify's taking me and everything else. Brontide has been showing up more and more on my pretty excellent prog slash metal playlists here. And that's a the, the number of great kind of bands coming out of the UK that have a lifespan of less than three to five years, but produce amazing albums. And then those members go do something else and produce other amazing albums. It's very, it's very 2000 E type of thing where you don't have a, you know, nobody's just playing for 40 years just to try to knock it out. It seems like there's a lot less, uh, a lot more jumping around from bed to bed, if you will. And maybe, maybe that's just creatively just trying to find the right thing, or maybe that is, you know, they just understand it's not going to happen or something else, but it sure produces a great amount of music and very diverse music too. Uh, fun fact, I think the bassist from that band went on to, I think is now the bassist in Rolo Tomasi, if you, uh, yeah, kind of more of a metalcore uh, type of vibe, but you know, um, there, there is a lot of, a lot of moving around and all these sorts of different projects. Um, when you're programming hot new features for Akash, Greg, are you, what kind of music do you listen to? Mm, boy. My favorite programming oh. music is probably um, God, Eagles of Death Metal. I mean, they're not a death metal band. It's, yep. called, it's called Eagles of Death Metal. Yeah. Um, or BMRC or Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. Uh -huh. Something that's just like jing, jing, jing on the background. It's a quite, uh, quite, um, quite raunchy kind of sort of almost down back to basics kind of bluesy rock and roll right that yeah blues rock and roll is usually my, my go-to but something that gets away in the background and doesn't take my focus away to the words right like yep uh when i'm listening to music at least 
10 hours a day. Um, I'm, I'm plugged in all the time when I'm coding, yeah. especially when I'm coding. Yeah. Right? Like, uh, yeah. What, what about yours? I think we've I think we've we've gone over our taste quite a bit on the show previously, but this is obviously why we're talking about music as a regular thing. But I think Serp and I are kind of more of a a progressive rock kind of vibe a lot of the time. Um, Schultz, I think, is into mainly achingly cool stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, something like that, more melodic type music. Yeah, yeah. And then I feel like Niles a stealth metalhead. He keeps very like- quiet, but. Yeah, I like uh, I like metal and trance. I like a bit of trance while I'm like bashing on the keyboard stuff that I can't understand any words to because nice. it's not distracting. You know, I, I actually went and saw Dvorak's New World Symphony over the weekend, which is like it's got some Nutcracker in there. It's got all sorts of nonsense with the uh, with the organ symphony. So that was a great time. That's cool. Uh, it might That's surprise so you. I can't believe you just went to see like classical music. <laughs> I, I, I mean, also listen to classical music. I've got like a, a 101 uh, symphony album that I just like put on in the car and, and when I'm working sometimes. I reckon it's great, Schultzy. It is. Not to age myself, but I'm a big rock Rachmaninoff and Mozart fan too. I, I don't know. I think those those are not that far from these other type of genres we're talking about. I know it seems like there's a big divide between some of that stuff and and trance and those types of things. It's not that much of a divide, actually, if you can get well, it's, into the it's, right. It's percussion, isn't it? Like, I think that's the big, like, having kind of like a, a, a really specific backbeat is like very uncommon in classical music. And if you right. cannot live without that, like, for example, like, kind of, it's quite common that thing of what people say, like, ambient music is like not that far away from like string, uh, string sort of classical, maybe that is very sort of based on a large, um, string section moving at a, a, a slowish pace, you know, obviously not like Sturm and Drang or something where it's very dramatic and bah, 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 uh, with brass and whatnot. But, um, right. you know, the snare drum only comes along uh, as an instrument in the orchestra in the romantic period, right? So please, musicologists, tell that me. That one I don't know. I mean, I can only go as far as back to like violin of like the 1600s, everything after that. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, well, dude, I don't know the history right. of it. I just enjoy the sound of it, all right? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm just saying that, like, uh, the best classical music is the succession intro, where it is a dissonant string section with a tritone in it and a hip hop beat. That, that is like <laughs> S tier. What class? If classical music had a hip hop beat, it would be S tier in my so, opinion. No. If classical no, no. wasn't classical. The <laughs> best part of any show is probably the tune-up for me. When you get to hear everything start to come in and harmonize, oh, that, that's the best. Put some punk in. in there? No, no. Harmonization, the best. <laughs> that's beautiful. <laughs> okay, right, so, so I'm about to successfully completely derail what should have been like a one-minute how are we doing. Uh, I, sorry about that. Um, so do we want to talk a, a very, very briefly about um, what's going on with Prop 20, Prop 21? Uh, so we've just we've just done a prop twenty upgrade on on Juno, um, and there is a slight little problem with it, isn't there? Um, not, not with the prop. Well, the upgrade went swimmingly well, right? Um, it sounds yeah. like th- that uh, in the the contracts as were tested and everything else associated with the prop and the, the software upgrade was was uh, I actually I had Cosmovisor running. I actually forgot about it until it was over. Um, he's got notified just with the pause, but um, 
And then I assume that Prop 21, you said there there is something that was found or at least something that needs to be updated. Yeah. So there's a there's a there's basically a small problem in the IBC handler, which we've actually been running until now without noticing. Um, but essentially, if you want to update an IBC channel via Gov, at the moment, you can't, Juno. You know, we've never had to do it before, which is why we didn't mm. notice that there was a, a, a bug. There's like a line of code that needs changing. Um, so I think that's in Prop 21, um, the upgrade. And also... Uh, crucially, the the funds need moving from a from a. It's basically like a. I think it's more of a. a, a it's either a fat finger or a miscommunication. Essentially, that the funds will move to a null address, and <laughs> then we're supposed to be moved to the smart contract. But instead, they were just moved to the null address, which was not what we did in testing. So there was a little bit of a disconnect between what we ran on the test net and then what actually ran on mainnet in terms of like each one of the steps. So now the second half needs to happen where it just gets moved over, where after being unstaked and moved, it gets moved over to um, smart contract. But I, I didn't really have any involvement in, in that part. So it was a surprise to me as well because I didn't write or work on any of the code for the actual right. the move side of things. So I've obviously saw it tested because you know we're helping out with the test nets and whatnot um, <laughs> and helped out with the smart contract but um because it obviously worked in the test nets it was like okay cool well you guys who are working on that bit you seem to have it under control whatever and then today like i was also away from keyboard when the upgrade happened and it mm-hmm. worked whatever got back and it was like oh hey guys what what, what? and i'm like yeah, what's, what's happening? Yep. So, uh, so yeah, it's going to be an up- upgrade in a couple of days. Not really a big deal. I think that's kind of the end of that. Yep. Um, actually, you know, as another, f- we're, since we're doing follow ups and tie ups from last week that have come back around as well, something we were talking about last week on last week's episode, Greg, was that the the upgrade model of Cosmos, um, I think, has gotten a lot of attention recently because of the variety of chains of upgrades and halts, etc., that have been. Um, happening and we were we've sort of had like quite a long uh, conversation on whether or not it was some fundamental um property of the way cosmos works or whether it's just that these chains are now scaling in sophistication and user base and it's sort of uh correlation rather than causation just that there are a lot of chains moving very fast now mm-hmm. so naturally sometimes there are going to be issues they get stuck the teams do some work unstick them and it's not really anything to worry about so, so what's the question so the question is do you think it's like correlation or causation or do you think it's like do you think there's some fundamental thing about cosmos that means these problems sort of are bubbling up now or do you think it's just, it's just noise because we're moving quickly uh I think it's lack of coordination. I mean, it's hard to say, right? Like, so we had an issue with the upgrade mo- module recently. Mm-hmm. We upgraded the chain, and that was a disaster. Uh, I feel like the, I mean, and it was also like, well, we didn't uh, include the upgrade model in a test net, so we weren't able to test the upgrade model module. Mm-hmm. Uh, assuming that upgrades are going to just be smooth and assuming that's just going to work out of the box because that's the least sort of like critical piece of the the, the whole mainnet upgrade. Uh, but that didn't end up to be true. And it was just a holy hell of like pushing out a patch, waiting for people to, uh, you know, 
uh, come online, the validators, our biggest validators dropped, and then people were out of sync, so had resync, and it's a whole nasty sort of like, um, you know, remediation process, right? So I think yeah. um, I think it's just I think the people are moving quite fast, and there are different use cases. I think are not being tested properly. Uh, the testnets, the idea of testnets, have sort of like gone out of fashion. Uh, some of them do it, but we, even the testnets, there no, there's no guarantee that if the code passes through the testnet, it's going to actually like work, right? Uh, with the kind of uh, with the kind of speed people are moving at. So uh, I think there needs to be a Cosmos collective for testing these like like modules. Uh, I don't know if. Yeah. There is one, or if Ignite team is fully like plugged in uh, to what's going on in the ecosystem, and also like it's wrong for us to actually uh, expect Ignite team to to be the you know the responsible parties, right? So um, uh, yeah, things are moving way faster than the core team of Cosmos members can keep up with. Um, I think that's what's causing all these issues, right? Like. Greg, that was a SDK issue or a WASM issue? I forget what the SDK core of that, issue. SDK so issue, right? Module supposed to uh, introduce Cosmos Wiser, and supposedly the, the the ideal scenario is when you uh, when you vote on uh, on uh, on a proposal and agree on what block you're going to upgrade, it'll automatically do the upgrade. Supposedly, <laughs> that was a promise, but uh, the reality is like, well, you know. There was some null pointer exception, some memory, like some some nasty thing, right? right? And I don't know why we didn't, why we assume it's just going to work. I mean, it, that just gives you the importance of actually having to test the actual binary you're gonna, you know, or the or the commit hash you're going to like uh, upgrade on, and not assuming that this commit hash is gonna, or this this version is going to work, right? Like. Mm -hmm. Low hang, and most I think Juno also had the problem, or even uh, uh, sorry, Mmos had the same problem, right? Like, I yeah, both Juno and Mmos have had halts uh, yeah. recently. Uh, Juno was a cyber attack. Mmos was uh, with Serp, Schultzy, Null. You guys, uh, that was an upgrade snafu. What so basically, during the during the upgrade, there was a. We didn't get consensus straight away, and then there was a lot of node resetting uh, and losing state files. So then, so basically, valid. was it was it validator error then? Uh, it was just it was a communal like error, I guess you would say. Like there was a lot of um, people telling people to do things that they shouldn't be doing, and I love that part. Was, yeah, <laughs> the the impetus on that was I think there was a, there was a wasm there was a. Um, a zero day, well, it was some sort of zero day wasm type. Dylan, probably keep me going, but there was some there was some issue that was kind of forcing an emergency upgrade, and then that emergency upgrade turned into a mix of bad communication, and then there was spreadsheets and trying to get to make sure we had the consensus on it, and then there was a version switch at the last minute, which is always a bad thing, right? You're like but, somebody but sets that it up. During, and that was was it last minute or during trying to get consensus? I can't during, remember. During, I think it was during while you're trying to get consensus. That's right. Yeah, it was some. But yeah, and, and so they did a bin switch, and then um, you know some, and then consent. It just the binaries were just confused as shit, and then right. everyone was trying different things to make it work, and people yeah. were telling people to do stuff they shouldn't do, 
and then a bunch of nodes got double signed, uh, big ones right. as well. So they yeah. just had to stop the network, Ooh. basically. What what happened to the double signers? Did they lose money? Uh, no, because they they wound back to the block before the doubles. So they when they restarted the network, they did like a um, state migration and then um, wound back a block. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the 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 uh, rollback. Yeah, that's yeah. The most use, yeah. useless rollback ever. But anyway, yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. it rolls yeah. back one block. <laughs> rollback one block. That's right. Yeah. Yep. I guess yeah, was just that one block that they were trying to, um, you know, get going. So it was the. I think it was pretty much just it picked up where the original upgrade was supposed to pick up. That's right. Right. So yeah, that so the upgrade module leads to the consensus uh, failures. I've seen that quite a hap- uh, happen quite a bit. And worst scenario is if you have a big validator that was, uh, you know, that has a state that's out of sync and they just keep like printing blocks um, and and everyone else is like out of like consensus, right? So you're going to have these like crazy scenarios that uh, you have to re-coordinate and the, and the big validator has to like resync uh, their state to a... Uh, to a cons- to a to a trust group that's much smaller, uh, but also like we're we're learning quite a bit. Like we're learning the <laughs> importance of like better distribution, right? Like because one yeah. of the one of the reasons why I mean, Akash upgrade took about 16, 18 hours, and we were up all the time. And the re- big reason was we had one of our biggest validators didn't show up um, mm-hmm. on time, or at least they showed up on time. They actually did what they're supposed to do. But they weren't present for us to be able to debug and like coordinate. And yep. Overclock Labs, the, the company uh, that builds uh, Cache Network, the core contributors, we don't have enough voting power to influence a vote uh, in the in the you know in the thing. So it's decentralized launches are extremely hard and especially highly risky when you have validators with with a lot of voting power. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. I mean, we yeah. have spent a lot of time on Juno. Uh, especially given the the cadence of the many upgrades that have happened in the last two months, what with the cyber attack, what the three security patches that we've had for Cosmwasm, um, plus the plus you know the fact that we've had routine stuff going on as well that we've been trying to uh, get through. Um, what we've had to do is basically have there is a coordination channel where we say yeah. we have a whole. There's now a releases procedure in the GitHub repo, so even if people don't really want to engage with um i suppose the the juno it's team if you like. yeah uh they know where they can get those updates and then we've also had to be like well from a security perspective we can't reveal everything publicly all the time anymore right so some of the validators who sort of were relying on us just tweeting all the information and them just like knocking it out we've had to say well, well look the problem is we can't do that because there's a security risk so we kind of need to know if not exactly who you are, you don't have to dox yourself. We do need to have a place to contact you. Otherwise, it's not going to work. Or at right. least it's not, I mean, well, it will work, but you, the first notification you're going to get of an upgrade is when everybody else stops, upgrades, and you app hash. Um, right, right. That was one of my main concerns with upgrade or Cosmos Prop 69, the Cosmosm upgrade, because I was like, well, for Juno, we've had a couple of like shadow upgrades, right? And that's gone well because many of the validators are pretty plugged in. However, with Cosmos, those upgrades tend to take quite a bit longer because it seems like those validators aren't quite as engaged. So if there is a security breach or a topic that needs to come out now, 
are we going to be able to react as quickly? That was one of my main concerns. Um, but we're, yeah. we're ultimately voting yes anyway. Yeah. yeah. So, so you're talking you. about the addition of uh, Cosmosm to the hub. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. I think. Uh, I think in Juno we're a little bit more lucky in that we don't have as many corporate validators in Juno. Um, so it's like a little bit more accessible to the actual people who are running the nodes. I think the other things as well. I mean, with Manita, we did two test. We did sorry, we did two test nets um, pre-launch, and then pre-Manita, we had the mainline test net, which got killed by we us cyber attacking it. Me and Ben um, X four, and uh, then we had to restart it, didn't we? Because we killed it, and so. Any validator that was a part of those test nets had like the experience of like chain halt and restart with Cosmwasm and all of the like, oh now you need to shuffle the Wasm folder and all that kind of stuff. And then obviously yeah. to get then the the final upgrade out, we did like what was it, four test nets in three weeks? Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yeah. And I think I so think the uni means that the, there's the like core, there's like a core of validators there who really know their stuff and like can help other validators when stuff goes wrong. I mean, and to be honest, like sometimes there's things that when I'm tired, I screw up and I'll literally ask. And one of those validators that was a part of that Astarte set will literally be like, DM me and like, right, dude, here's what you need to do. Don't worry about it. And you're like, ah, this is why this is, these guys are great. This is all these, all these guys are so good. Um, hey, we, we have a pretty low participation in uni like in terms of number of validators from the main net set, there's quite a few in mm-hmm. our test net, which is good yeah. running. So the whole upgrade is a bonding process for sure. <laughs> it's a good way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Like most people forget how important validators are uh, for supporting the, these networks. And, and really, <clears throat> I mean, I love Akash validators. It's just amazing to see how supportive, uh, you know, especially the small guys are, right? Like the big guys don't really care as much as the small guys do. So it makes you really reevaluate your your delegations. And we're going to do a whole revamp of our own foundation delegations to people that actually added support and were critical when we needed them. Uh, but boy, it's just been such a, such a bonding experience. Uh, and also such a learning experience and uh, and a, a, a reminder to thank your validators. You should have a validator day. Well, thank you, validator day. Yeah. Holiday. Every day is validator day for us, man. <laughs> <laughs> thank well, you, validator day. Well, that was part of the reason that to actually talk about Game of Nodes was, was that the independent validators, I think, sometimes get overlooked or you have, you know, everybody. And I think there's a, there's a, there's a pretty blind, pretty large blind spot in, in terms of, um, delegators knowing how to pick validators, what's important, and then they're all ranked, right? So when you see one to ten out of 125, people, oh, I'm safe, right? That's what that's what you see. And there's there's really there's that that idea around decentralization and some of these errors errors that we were talking about, issues we we're talking about in terms of involvement and buy-in and those types of things. Like like somebody in that top ten, I know, like maybe a, a, a an exchange wallet or something similar that doesn't have, they're not involved the way you know. The fray is, or King Notes is, or Lavender Five is, right? Um, but again, that's difficult to. You have, you really have to. T- it takes some time to really build the, the marketing and the branding around that for people to understand what's the difference there. So I, I think that that whole idea around proof of stake, 
that is a real misconception, I think, in terms of delegators, in terms of what's important. Do you I think, think like, usurper, the, the, the difficulty there is, I mean, I, and I say from like my, my capacity and our capacity as a small validator company is like, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe as well, because we do DAP development and we have other projects, but like we, we can basically support two chains to like a meaningful, like we're more engaged than the average. Right. And more than that, we we have to be just another validator in the pack, even though we're an independent validator, and we rely on, like, to the extent this is why we've only we've only run three chains, and the third chain we run is a meme chain because it's a a way for us to test stuff out in production to to some extent, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's quite, I mean, so you know, Greg, we've looked at um, uh, joining the Akash set because it's a really interesting project, right? Yes, but I I kind of feel like it's the amount of work that I do other than just validating personally and that we try and do as a company for the chains that we work on, like I already feel like I don't do nearly as much for, for Stargate SA than we did before they launched. Like when they were doing their test and stuff, we tried to be, because those folks were all in the US, we tried to be helping out in the European time zone and doing all sorts of kind of stuff and you know chipping in where we could and whatnot. And I feel like because the amount of work in Juno is quite big and we we're quite involved over there, like that's meant that we can't be as involved over here. And so then I look at other chains like like yours, really interesting project, seem very involved, validator set. You know, we're for some DAP development stuff we're doing, we're looking to move stuff long term into like, you know, DAOs running their own uh, infrastructure on a cache and all that's really, really interesting to us. But we're also just like, well, if we can't make a meaningful contribution outside of just validating and we try and buy our way into the set and maybe knock somebody out who we don't know maybe is really helping mm-hmm. out in that area right, right. What, what are we adding should we even be in that validator set probably not right i mean folks that are adding value on akash will will get delegations i'm, I'm very active uh in the discourse in the twitters and especially in the upgrades, I was there for the whole 16 to 18 hours, right? So I know what validators added value uh, and, and the validators that don't add value, right? So if I see a validator getting knocked out of the active set, a, a validator that I feel like should not be knocked out, I'm going to give my personal or, or, or you know, I'm going to you know, propose our foundation to give delegation, right? So it's a very much, a proof of stake is very much not very much like con- like con- contextual conditional there's no you know rule book right like uh, but if there is someone who just you know has a lot of money i mean we have some validators who you know just bought their way in they don't do anything mm-hmm. uh, and they're sure. not going to get uh, the uh, they, they, my personal love and foundation delegation right so uh, I mean, there's there's no right way to do it. And of course, we want our validators to uh, be hyper involved, but you know, buying tokens and holding on to those tokens is also contributing to the security of the network, right? So it's not they're not like useless. They are contributing to the security of the network. Uh, so, uh, but I think, but delegations are one way to keep the validators in the active set without having to buy the tokens, right? And I think that should be a more natural. We want to see that because the value of contribution is much higher than 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 value of capital, right? So, um, 
uh, and we are also increasing our validator set, right? We, we, we do our, I think, the proposals every three to four months to increase the validator set, right? I mean, you got to keep in mind, uh, mm -hmm. the bigger the validator set, the slower and the larger the, the chain gets. Right. Um, but there are always trade-offs, but, you know, uh, we, we feel like if the, if the uh, minimum required to be in the active set is not reasonable, uh, mm -hmm. you know, there's somebody in our community, and most of the, these proposals don't come from us. Uh, somebody uh, in our community will put a proposal, and we'll we'll, we'll happily support it uh, in whatever way we can, right? Um, and and then you have like Ethereum and like these other chains. You have thousands of thousands of uh, validators, and I wonder how upgrades if there is anything of such in Ethereum is going to happen in the proof of stake network, right? Very curious about networks that have enormous amounts of nodes, right? Right. Um, I guess Ethereum, you don't really have to worry too much because I think it's the leader finance folks that control like 50% of the nodes or some crazy number like that. Mm -hmm. I just need to go to one and you know, the whole notion of like Ethereum is more decentralized because it has node, more nodes is just <laughs> ridiculous, right? Because, you know, one company uh, controls a lot of these nodes. Yeah. But, uh, but I guess, but in a really true scenario where you have thousands and thousands of nodes and truly distributed, I wonder how upgrades happen, especially when you have to do security patches, the really rapid security patches, right? Um, yeah. So I wonder if there's like a model like, um, I'm trying to remember the name of the protocol. Um, am I thinking of Holochain? Um yeah, I am thinking of Holochain. I think where the the sort of the date of the validation integrity of the the blocks, if you like, are kind of pushed to app level, aren't they? So I don't know exactly what their upgrade model is, but I presume as their most clients are obviously not keeping full state. It's more of a BitTorrent model where it's just more about current version of protocol for two things that want to actually sort of be clients in the in in the network. So. There's there's probably a bunch of quite interesting different ways of cutting this problem, um, but I wonder if like you know the the more fundamental thing that's maybe relevant for Cosmos is, you know, should we be tying upgrades to the concept of governance, right? Because there there are situations in which a software upgrade might be conscientious, and we've 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 certainly seen that in Juno, right? That's that's definitely happened over yep. the last ten weeks, but. For for like the two that we've had, prop twenty prop prop twenty is funny because it's controversial. Prop twenty one is literally a like oh minor bug, let's knock out a release in a kind of. If you worked in industry and done continuous deployment or continuous delivery, you would literally hit the button a second time and go oops, and then it would be out five minutes later, right? Yeah, and it, right, would be, right. it wouldn't be a thing, and so th th there is like a th there is an interesting question, I suppose given that we're seeing that governance in Cosmos is, is coming up against challenges, whether or not, uh, I suppose, whether or not there there will be changes in that direction. Like, are there types of, uh, so something that I think Demi on the core team um, for Juno was talking about, and I think Jack was talking about maybe on the podcast a while ago, was like whether we should be having two-speed governance for software upgrades. Like you can say emergency is like one day, regular is like five day, and quorum is maybe different for those two but then you know people try and sneak through things on the one that they shouldn't on the so yeah. it becomes back it comes back to this like 
how trustless are we and do we have to trust our validators? And I think the answer is, and I've been shitposting about this on Twitter for some time now, is that in my opinion, proof of stake is actually just a distributed system. It's not for some definition of decentralized decentralized it's a distributed system with multiple operators who don't necessarily trust each other but in practice they actually have to so in practice you've got 100 operators rather than one operator and that's only like one order of magnitude different right so it's a good question the i don't i think the the term trustless is fundamentally stupid you, you trust something at the end you know be it at the cell level be it at whatever level there is something that you're trusting. Even if you're running a Bitcoin node, you're still trusting the CPU is going to act. So you're still yeah. trusting the clock yeah. is going to be good, right? You're trusting something. I think decentralization is about removing attack vectors, right? Uh, when, when consider about chain halting or double spending or, you know, uh, verification, right? Things of that nature. But it's not removing trust entirely. You can't. How, like, like you gotta trust. Or look at the access point. Like, let's talk about Kepler, right? Uh, you know, you gotta trust that Kepler you're installing on your computer is valid and verified by someone else. Right? You're trusting Google at that, at that point, right? I mean, you can't use a, a decentralized uh, network um, without some level of trust, right? Um, uh, the only question is how much of trust do we require, right? So something like. Right chain upgrades, right? Like, I mean, you're trusting validators to do the necessary diligence and, you know, review the code. Like, I don't know if you guys do review the code, but most of them don't, right? Review the code um, and, uh, you know, literally like act on behalf of the people, right? Uh, and you have to coordinate. You have to learn who other validators are. I think there's no truly... Um, even as a, as a Bitcoin, like this is an upgrade for Bitcoin, there is, you're still trusting the core team that they are acting on behalf of the other people. Not everybody's reading, uh, you know. My grandma has Bitcoin. She, she's not reading code. It's like, is she running the client? Is she her? She's not even running the client, right? Like, she's just trusting somebody to run the client for her, right? Um. But that trust uh, is inherently not dangerous because you know her trust in the client doesn't mean is removing the trust from the network. Uh, yeah, like so, uh, trust minimize is a better word than trust less. Mm -hmm. uh, the minimal trust you 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 need, the lower friction that you get to interact uh, between two parties in that particular network. Right, the lower friction you have, the higher the scalability you have for a system. Right, so Bitcoin or, or decentralized systems remove or lower the friction of interaction between two two parties for whatever reason. Be it conduct commerce, you know, cash, you know, do deployments, and Juno actually run smart contracts. Right, you don't need uh, a, a, a high level, high degree of trust from the other party in order to function. Right, and that's what makes decentralized uh, systems uh, fascinating. Right? Yeah. So put whatever uh, term on it, right? Ultimately, everything is a distributed system. Uh, ultimately, right. Uh, the only difference is how much how much trust you need to to participate or run the run the network. Yeah. And when it comes to like, yeah, uh, I feel that upgrades should be 
frictionless, the actual process of upgrading uh, from one version to another, migrating the data, I think that process should be frictionless. But what goes in the upgrade should not be frictionless. Right? That should be on debate, right? This is absolutely needed. But we all, after we come to a consensus, what goes into the upgrade, I think from there on, it should be completely frictionless. And then, all that means is we should be able to ship upgrades uh, when we need uh, and have enough time for the community to come to consensus, right? Yeah. Uh, and well, if there's the code that matters, then there, you know, the, you can you can look at it a different way, which is maybe back to the, like I said, not an expert in Holochain, but I gather there are some similarities between their model and the BitTorrent model. Um, you know, maybe we should be looking at a thing where yeah, dirty secret. Most validators don't run an archive node. Most validators mm -hmm. prune aggressively, especially on right. large chains, especially on smart contract chains. Um, you know, if, if you're part of a chain upgrade, you know what I mean. <laughs> what the difference between a prune or a full node is? Yeah, right, mm -hmm. exactly. Right. Um, so you know, there there there's a whole bunch of things here where you go, okay, well, actually, a lot of the complexities of managing that upgrade are to do with the the state and the validity of uh, the, the state changes effectively and whether or not it's consensus breaking and what the next block off the upgrade is going to do. But keeping almost no state on the client would sort of make that whole process a lot easier. But then you kind of get back into the, well, okay, so where does system integrity come from? Um, and that's like, okay, so if we've got lots of peer-to-peer -peer nodes that are just going to interact with each other, where's the archive of state? Um yeah, and then, then we've designed a new system that's not quite what we're currently working with, right? So it's, I, I don't know, to me, this is all very, as a kind of like systems designer, I think this is all quite interesting. It's state now. DAO, which keeps the state archive, <laughs> archive DAO or something that keeps yeah. archives of all the uh, states and verified and whatnot. I mean, well, I mean, I, to, to, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I mean, I think you're, you're, you're semi joking about that. Um, <laughs> But I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea. I mean, like there is an argument for doing something that is stateless with more of like a cell towers model where your archive nodes are effectively your cell towers going like, yep, no, you've just asked me about data integrity and I can tell you the hash that you've just given me is the one that the majority of nodes or a subgraph of nodes have given me and that seems reasonable. You know, it's all about fast finality at the end of the day. It boils down to how fast you need your finality, right? Mm -hmm. Someone had this idea. It's actually a good friend of mine. Uh, Dan Lynch is uh, an up-and-coming Cosmos star. Uh, he, uh, he's actually doing a lot of work for Osmosis now. Uh, but he had an idea for uh, I what it was called. But the idea was like we have a big challenge is bootstrapping and discovering RPC nodes and discovering state. But bootstrapping in general is a huge yeah. problem, right? Bootstrapping a chain um, or a client, as a matter of fact. Uh, and how do you know, well, first question you got to ask is how do you know what you're getting is real or not, right? How do you trust that, that RPC server? But the only yeah. way to do that is like run it by yourself uh, from the code, compiled, yada, 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 yeah. Um, and I assume that GitHub is the official source code and it's not, you know, uh, you know, it doesn't have any exploits or tr not trying to steal your money, right? So you're trusting GitHub again here and you're trusting that the, the canonical source code uh, and you're trusting GitHub actually verified the authors, right? Anyway, the, the the I think we need we need to do much better, right? We need to do much better without GitHub um, involved necessarily, right? Um, 
and we need to do much better with bootstrapping. And and a DAO idea seemed to be very very attractive, especially a DAO that is uh, uh, where the members are effectively validators, right? Because they are most connected with 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 managing multiple managing multi or or validating multiple chains. Um, if they all come together and have some sort of like you know decentralized way to to sign off on these packages or bless the packages or bless the state and host the state uh, and get some fees for it or, or something. It's not a bad idea, actually, if you think about it. It could be a chain by itself. Or it could be a DAO yeah. on Juno. Probably. I think somebody's somebody's trying to build a, a Git chain in, in Cosmos, right? Yeah. I, I think Polkachu sent around a, a thing. Uh, Polkachu is an excellent validator, by the way. I'm not sure if they validate a cache, but one it's of the best. pop up here and there. Yeah. yeah, one of the absolute best. Um, they were they were talking uh, to us the other day about um, I forget the name of it, but yeah, there's a chain uh, launching the Cosmos, uh, sort of with some Git integration and hooks. And I think they want to do some of that stuff in the future. Whether or not it will uh, pan out exactly as intended, uh, I don't know. So, um, mm -hmm. some specific questions on a cash. Uh, I keep saying a cash is because I'm pronouncing it the English word. A cash. Um, <laughs> I know, showing women, whatever. Anyway, culturally white, unfortunately. Um, so for, for those that maybe are less familiar with Akash, um, what what drove you to start it and what was like your original vision? So a bit of a backstory. My, um, I've been a programmer for a little over 25 years and I founded a company called AngelHack. Uh, AngelHack is the largest hackathon accelerator in the world. Hackathon based accelerator, uh, but it was really we, we introduced hackathons to the world. Uh, hackathons before Angel Hack were a very underground concept. And uh, I helped launch several uh, developer tooling companies. I mean, my primary focus over the last, I would say, 10 years have been building and shipping developer tooling. Um, and one of the biggest companies I helped launch was Firebase. Uh, Firebase uh, became, you know, absolute, absolute darling in, in developer tooling, and got acquired by Google. And uh, so my passion was always developing tools that um, are hyperscalable without the friction. Because a lot of times you have distributed systems with hyperscalability, but they're extremely hard to use, and and, and vice versa, right? Systems that are super simple are not very scalable. Right. So the idea was, how do you really create infrastructure that's easy to use at the same time, um, you know, easy to scale, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's still a problem till date. And we, um, uh, and I stumbled, this is 2013, uh, right, two years into AngelHack. Uh, I really wanted to solve the uh, deployment problem, right? Like, so deploying something from your workstation to the cloud, um, was extremely, uh, uh, you know, uh, difficult, especially if you're trying to do, if you're under duress at a hack talk, right? It's easy to like um, do that on a Heroku or now you have Netflix and or whatnot, but mm -hmm. those systems generally can't scale, right? Heroku literally wouldn't scale. Uh, like uh, they'll just ask you to go somewhere else. And if you try to use Amazon, I mean, it's just a nightmare, right? Uh, and you have to do like, you know, chef or a puppet or one of these like nasty things, mm -hmm. uh, which are very unpleasant to use tools. And uh, so I discovered this thing called containers. 
and um, and I fell in love with him, and I was uh, I was like, uh, and containers back then. This is right before Docker. Docker came along, made containers really simple, and and I was like working on how do you make these containers more fault tolerant, and then I discovered uh, Kubernetes in 2014. Uh, this is way before Kubernetes. Uh, it's right, you know, very very early. And I uh, spoke at the first Kubernetes conference and whatnot. I started contributing to the project quite a, quite a bit and found found a company, Overclock Labs, to take Kubernetes to market. Um, and I loved Kubernetes because it was I mean, the Docker containers in general would solve the uh, parity problem. Uh, you build once, you test it, and you can take that container and deploy it on a server. And you don't have to worry about dependencies, right? Which is most of the time the the you know. Uh, the, the most of the time where the, where the issues happen. And back then, mutable infrastructure was a thing. I wanted mm-hmm. to build immutable infrastructure, right? So, um, and uh, containers solve a lot of these problems. Kubernetes solved the orchestration and, and fault tolerance problems. Um, and uh, and I was, that's, that's where I saw the, the light to build a truly um, scalable, easy to use infrastructure. And Kubernetes, mind you, was not easy. I guess it's still not easy to use, but it was horrible back then. I mean, I had no documentation. Um, it was very, very early uh, days. And uh, we built Overclock Labs to take Kubernetes market, but also, uh, and do so in a, in, a, in a product that was high performance, um, edge-capable scheduling, right? So you could literally use Overclock Labs product to schedule, uh, to turn any data center uh, mostly bare metal data centers uh, into into cloud enabled products, right? So uh, and fe- federate them, so you can literally create this beautiful layer uh, and, and that you can deploy uh, to let's say ten different regions in like three minutes uh, or four minutes using all running Kubernetes. And Kubernetes didn't have multi cloud coordination capability, so we wrote the the, the control plane. For the, for the multi-cloud uh, to make Kubernetes multi-cloud in 2015, uh, and uh, it, it worked amazingly well, um, and uh, so that got me uh, to talk at the Kubernetes conference and whatnot. And the and uh, I met a lot of incredible people. Uh, a lot of that code I wrote for that became Helm, and you know Helm came around uh, way later, and they used a lot of the code I wrote. Uh, to do these deployments, right? To do this, you know, package management style deployments. And when we were, when we were deploying this, we discovered most compute sitting in these data centers we we're deploying to was unused. The number was somewhere like ninety percent of the compute was not used, right? So, and well, then then it becomes very obvious to create a marketplace to unlock this compute. Um, and make it available. And this is, mind you, high-performance computes, data centers with bare metal storage, right? So, and 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 and, and bare metal is a lot more efficient than the uh, hypervisor uh, in terms of like resource allocation, uh, and uh, it's a lot more faster because you don't have the the double kernel problem. You're going directly to the box, right? Mm-hmm. All the good stuff, and you know, from a security standpoint, all that, all the good stuff, um, and. Uh, and uh, so when we decided to really build a marketplace, we wanted to make sure it's open because we are open source people. Uh, we've been working on open source. We didn't want to create a closed source uh, sort of like company. And a big problem with open source is, well, it's not sustainable, right, as a business. 
Um, and how do you really create a network uh, or, or, a, you know, or, or a product that can self-sustain itself? Um, and, and we were also like being an edge-enabled product, we had to create a, uh, you know, sort of like centralized system, right? Because I'm a big fan of optimistic schedulers. Uh, and a big thing about optimistic schedulers versus pessimistic uh, schedulers is pessimistic schedulers need a control plane that, con that you know, controls the, the nodes, but optimistic is self, uh, you know, propagating, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's slower, but it actually yeah. is more more I'll, I'll put my hand up and say i didn't i didn't fully grasp what's going on why why is why does the optimistic scheduler need um a centralized um router so a optimistic scheduler would try to optimistically schedule and then fail and then you know fail to succeed and doesn't require a lock uh right. and a lock has to be stored why because but when you need a lock, that means the lock has to be maintained by a system, and that system could go down, like in pessimistic schedulers. So we wanted a lockless uh, system, right? Um, that's where the optimistic scheduler design really shines. And we kind of built a optimistic scheduler at, at, at Overclock that was am amazing for scheduling edge nodes, right? So and these nodes would like self-coordinate without a central control plane in a peer-to-peer -peer manner. And they would use, I mean, it was HCD, that was the most popular data structure, uh, you know, data store. Um, and we kind of wrote like a BitTorrent style replication mechanism. Um, so we kind of had like a quasi blockchain and a Merkle tree, you know, integrity uh, check, right? Like, so we yeah. kind of had like a quasi blockchain without even realizing we built blockchains. Uh, this is in 2016 timeframe. And then we were like, well, I mean, we had a blockchain without our tokens too, you know? to in a permission blockchain, right? Um, and then we realized, well, we might actually buy the bullet and, and go full blockchain instead okay. of so that, I think leads us on to the the next kind of question area that we we kind of had for you, which was like so it sounds like the the original vision was was very, very strictly kind of going in this direction you're already going with Docker and Kubernetes and whatnot. And it's like, okay, well but how can we make this sustainable? So it's a combination of the economic model and the fact that you're already kind of already building a blockchain. So then yeah. the next question uh, we were going to kind of ask about, you know, your involvement in the Cosmos, which is what made you build on Cosmos in the first place? And like, what, what technical benefits did, did that bring and what challenges? Mm -hmm. So so the decision was like, well, when we want to do this, do we do an L1 or do we do an Ethereum? Because Ethereum was the only chain. We actually prototyping the Ethereum on, on Ethereum, CryptoKitties launch and crash shell chain. And we're like, well, we're not, this is not going to work, right? Uh, Ethereum, like CryptoKitties literally took down the chain, for, if you remember that, for a, for a, for a while. Mm -hmm. And we were not even able to do anything. And we decided to go L1. And the question was to build our own chain from scratch or if we can find some help to do that quicker. And then somebody introduced me to Jaquan. And this is 2018, uh, early days of 2018. Uh, and they were like, hey, there's this library called Tendermint uh, people are building, which does the consensus for you. And everything else you build on top of it. And we liked it because number one, it was Golang, right? It's easy for us to go pick it up. And we were looking at the development uh, on Tender Tendermint. It was had a high cadence on, on GitHub, it was very important to us. And number three, and the fact that it's Golang gave us 
confidence that we can actually go build on something that's incomplete and actually, you know, contribute and and and, and build together if you have to. Um, and the consistent model for those for those at the back, um, Tendermint is Golang, the Cosmos SDK is Golang. Uh, Docker and a lot of the tooling around Docker containerization, Kubernetes, uh, these large-scale, maybe inverted commas, enterprise uh, software suites for doing orchestration on a massive scale at like data center level. A lot of these tools are written in Golang. So obviously that Greg's already talked about his background in that area. So that's why you, when you see the Go, the the kind of Go light bulb go on there, <laughs> that's so why. Yeah, I've been doing Go for since 2014, officially, full-time Go. Uh, if you look at my GitHub, you'll see a lot of history. Uh, I've contributed. My libraries are used by Kubernetes. Uh, Terraf- I was early contributor at Terraform, um, Docker, just th- that era of 2013, 2014, infrastructure software. Uh, that's that's my background, right? Um, and um, Go is very comfortable for us. We, we try to pick a language or a framework usually in, in the language that we're comfortable with so we can actually make contributions. And uh, Tendermint wasn't stable <laughs> for a long time. Uh, and it didn't have the module, so we ended up writing all the modules ourselves. Um, and then uh, Cosmos SDK came in 2019, I think. Oh, it, Cosmos SDK was developing parallelly to our, to our uh, you know, uh, project and then uh, it it we we drew apart right because we had our own mm-hmm. module we were developing we didn't really uh, you know Cosmos SDK was not ready so we we ended up just and the, a lot of the modules we wrote of course in a small team we're not going to be able to have the same level of uh, contributions the the core uh, Ignite team uh, did um, and in end of 2019 we decided to bite the bullet and uh, switch to Cosmos SDK and throw away a lot of our code. I remember uh, Adam, a co-founder, did this passive PR somewhere, somewhere in the GitHub's. But we deleted like eighty thousand lines of code, ninety thousand lines of code. Like we were, because uh, that that was the kind of like it was amazing because you know it's like deleting code. I love deleting code. Like deleting code means less attack surface. Um, um, you were you were really you were really exchanging code. More than deleting, right? <laughs> so something that's more reviewed, more peer yeah. reviewed, that's more ideally more stable, ideally more maintained, right? Like so, um, uh, quote unquote, well maintained, right, right, right. right. Uh, but there's always we uh, write the least amount of code as possible. Uh, that that's that's my policy, right? Although we end up we end up writing a lot of code. We have this saying that hey, uh, months of coding can save hours of planning. <laughs> yeah yeah but uh but anyway uh, you want to write less code uh, and sdk significantly reduced our amount of code that we need to write uh and now it's a thriving ecosystem it's amazing to see the modules that are developing and we wrote a few more modules we, we contributed to and whatnot so that's a long winded history as to how we started uh and why we went down this rabbit hole and, and believe me when we when we're doing cosmos nobody there are not too many teams that are doing Cosmos. Very few, actually. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it was early, one of the first projects, right? I would assume in terms of larger projects that came off the hub. Yeah, we're the first IBC chain, um, uh, right? Like, I mean, after the hub, obviously. Mm-hmm. We're the first IBC chain. So when Osmosis launched, they launched uh, with Akash as, as the first token, besides Osmo and, and Ion. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
like pool number three and pool number four is Akash, right? Uh, so, and uh, Sunny is also a good friend, but but yeah, being early in the ecosystem, um, you could get a lot of help from uh, the Cosmos OGs. Uh, Sunny uh, was very, very helpful. Uh, and we, we wrote, you know, I, I read almost every paper of Cosmos and, you know, like, you know, uh, a lot of the in- economics were in- influenced by, by, by Sunny's work. And Jack was very helpful. Jack worked for Akash for like six months, I believe, uh, helped us uh, really, you know, uh, get in there. And uh, it's, it's fun to be early because you get access to all these amazing people, uh, you know, working uh, like, uh, for, you know, on the team for even like, uh, what's the name? Uh, yeah, most founder, Fede. Fede worked for like a few weeks at Akash as well. So we had a lot of like, Cosmos OGs working at Akash at some point. So they, right. they have like the biggest knowledge base, right? For the, the thing because they wrote it. So yeah, yeah. Right. You, yeah, you probably have the best knowledge base. Right. So yeah. that's the that's the history of Akash. Where do you see the project going? Uh, you know, in like five years. Like, what's your what's well, your kind of vision now? We, before we get into that, the fray, um, I sort of have an interim question between those two, and that is, you recently upgraded. Um, and I didn't go into the test net, and I'm not a validator on um, the Akash mainnet. I was an insider, that, but I, like, resigned from that somewhat lately because I just don't have – not been a, a mainnet validator there. I don't really have the additional time to, to put to that. But um, my question is – so it was a major upgrade, this one, I believe, and I'm just curious as to what – feature upgrades there was like what additional functionality did this upgrade bring or was it just more of a background upgrade no this added storage um well so for context cloud being able to compete or having complementary or having feature match with amazon is a long or long game right you're not when akash launch um you know we didn't plan on having all the features Amazon has on day one, right? Mm-hmm. It's a long roadmap for us to get there to to even match all the features. So initially, when we launched the Akash uh, uh, platform uh, about a year ago, uh, we wanted to perfect the container orchestration, ephemeral container orchestration, because once you add state to it, you have a second variable that is extremely hard to uh, to debug, to 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 stabilize and whatnot. So we want to keep the, um, uh, the the feature set small enough so that our teams can, uh, you know, have focus and uh, we have less things to worry about uh, and less, thing to, less things to validate. So we put up our plan saying that, well, we're going to do ephemeral containers without state. Then we're going to do state. Then we're going to add compute capabilities, GPUs and bandwidth and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Then that'll give us a foundation to actually build a real cloud on top of it, the, the true serverless cloud, the way we're going, right? What a true serverless cloud will look like essentially is, uh, you know, writing serverless code, be it no code, um, and being able to literally orchestrate across different services uh, that are, you know, offered to you in an open market and in a competitive manner. And, and uh, you know, a, an ecosystem where there are a lot of players and benefiting from each other, right? The idea is to remove a need for a centralized gatekeeper to all these technologies. Today, if you want access to any good technology, I mean, you got to be on the cloud, right? right? 
So where we are going is uh, first solve the fundamentals, and then we get into the actual services, right? I want to be able to get Postgres, manage Postgres on a card, mm-hmm. right? And I want that Postgres to come from the creator of post, creators of Postgres, not from Amazon. Because yeah. Amazon is literally right. yeah. white labeling it and adding a premium. Right. right? The creators don't make any money, right? The operator, the people that contribute to the, to the network don't make any money. So our, our goal, the vision of Akash is to change that. So this mainnet three, is essentially the first step in us upgrading capabilities and adding uh, elastic storage, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. So now we have unbounded storage. You can attach how much ever uh, that provider is capable of providing you in terms of storage. Uh, there is no limit. Uh, and, and this is network attached storage. Now we have NVMe storage. You have all kinds of high-performance storage that you can get access to. Uh, and we are seeing a lot of activity from Chia project. Chia is, is one of these uh, really good projects that um, is uh, storage heavy, essentially. The consensus algorithm is storage based. Mm-hmm. So for them, they can get specialized storage on the current cloud today. They're able to come to Akash and get that high performance storage. They want something like a million IOPS or something, right? So, so Akash is opening up. And, and the future, if you look at what's happening with Mighty, which is an app uh, um, that the started by Suhail, who's a, a known founder. A lot of new technology. And for, for Mighty, they need their own data centers because they can get the performance on the current cloud. So the way Akash is going, and Akash want to be in a position to serve these, these new founders with, 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 with specialized requirements. So they should be able to put an RFP and be like, hey, anyone that can provide this, uh, you know, uh, 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 this kind of capacity Talk to me. I'll get you. Uh, on, come to Akash, and I'll be able to consume you in a peer-to-peer manner, right? So the the really the goal of Akash is to open up the market to anybody and and any anyone that's capable of uh, serving uh, or providing compute to anyone that's capable of consuming compute. And serving compute is not a complicated thing, right? Running a data center is not as complicated as writing software. I mean, it, it is being commoditized. That's right? a that's a pretty hot take. I, I mean, it's got a lot of work. I mean, writing software is a lot more heavier than, than maintaining, uh, you know, you know uh, changing your disks, literally. <laughs> like the 8.4 million data centers in the world, right? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and again, the modern software is, is designed to be fault tolerant. It's designed to be interrupt, interrupt tolerant. Right? It should be if it's not. Uh, yeah, you have it's interrupt- really interesting to hear you talk about, um, you know, sort of serverless technologies and make and you know that kind of on-demand compute element, because obviously, so uh, pre uh, pre coming to work in crypto, um, a lot of what I did as an independent consultant and we did as a company um, was trying to get um, enterprise size companies uh, to ditch running metal, and if they weren't in the cloud move into cloud and if they were already in the cloud move to serverless and if you know sometimes jumping the whole way from bare metal to serverless right um because you know fundamentally for for most kind of consumer grade applications where it's you know e-commerce or some kind of some kind of thing that can be served headlessly some kind of content website some other bits and bobs maybe a next.js site maybe you know some some react or gatsby or you know what whichever kind of whichever front end it is um it's not particularly heavyweight and the api requirements on it 
aren't particularly heavyweight and you don't need lots of big heavy servers sitting around you know to serve a few web requests with a typescript api do you know what i mean yeah um and so you know serverless is a great paradigm for that because even on aws you can uh you know have 80 serverless functions in a test environment a prod environment and have like quite significant traffic and pay like 200 dollars a month uh you know i've been in that scenario where we had a, a large team sort of running this project and people were like oh what is this going to cost us what is this going to cost us and i was like look i guarantee you our monthly cost for the serverless function invocation is going to be less than one day of one developer's time and i was right by a good margin as well but you look at that and you go well hang on like you said earlier there's a lot of unused compute sitting around what if you can take that model of on-demand paper paper microsecond or whatever it is that aws and and, and google do uh, you know for their on-demand compute for serverless functions and then also be sp- spending at the rate of unserved effectively compute it could get an order of magnitude cheaper right and for somebody that's kind of like a, a serverless advocate um where i'm like i only really want to pay for what i'm using and i think that that's what people should do and it's an obvious place to have a market that's yeah. i think a really exciting idea like if you can get it to that level of granularity right that's where we're going that's where the, that's the direction we're heading towards right and i think like once there's so much opportunity and so many problems right now to solve i mean just before we can get to this true no code serverless just write a function and run it plug in in a low latency environment you know uh you know run all that stuff uh, we need to solve bandwidth we need to solve storage we need to solve like like high percent high performance compute hpc computing like with, with gps and whatnot right unless we can solve these problems in a highly distributed and decentralized way um then we're going to see the true benefits of serverless uh, come to fruition, right? Like today in the pricing, cloud has this coarse grain pricing model, uh, which ha- which results in uh, partial usage waste, right? So, like you pay essentially uh, one hour, uh, one hour is a minimum, right? And mm-hmm. get a standard tiered model, not in the serverless pricing. I'm talking about traditional instance pricing, on-demand pricing. You get this tiers you pick from. Um, and you and you have this time slots you pay with, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a coarse grain uh, uh, pricing model. And we all know, so the suboptimal for running anything uh, like a like a like a function, right? Uh, and the pricing is not, and most of the time, and not most of the, all all the time, you, the requirements for a function vary. It's not going to be like sixteen gigs of memory. It's going to be probably like I don't know, twelve point one gigs of memory. Right. Yeah, right. It's so fine grain, and and it's very important uh, for the future of the cloud to have a fine grain, fine grain model. And the cash provides you a fine grain model, provided it because very challenging. How do you price this on 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 the back end? And a lot of the work we are doing right now is like, how do you optimize, you know, your your, your profit and loss mm-hmm. with providers, right? But so we have taken fundamentally solid primitives with pricing, mm-hmm. solid primitives with distributed uh, design. Uh, that will bake into that'll come of re- uh, relevance once we have the serverless working because serverless will translate directly one to one down to the instant pricing with our fine grain model, and then you're going to see a lot cheaper serverless uh, function. Serverless is not affordable today on on the cloud, right? Yeah, it's okay if you're running something for a lower scale, but try to scale that up, and it's just scary. Some of these bills are, especially on Amazon. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the guy knows about that. It's scary. Right? Well, yeah, right. well, the more yeah. you hit scale, I mean, I'm talking about like 
I mean, I think I think my 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 validator bills uh, or our validator bills as a company are because uh, we are running on, on AWS. Um, it's the environment that we're most familiar with. Um, are substantially more expensive than um, than a large scale serverless deployment with you know Aurora RDS in three AZs fully backed up. You know, you know, talking deployments where everything's terraformed, everything's automated. Do maybe a minute, two minutes tops of DB ops per year. That kind of level of automation, and you know, that's that entire setup. I think, per, even on a per month, per year basis, was probably RDS was the only thing that was particularly expensive in that model. Our serverless execution, like I say, we were paying under four hundred dollars a month, but we very heavily optimized and very very heavily knew what the um the billing pattern was so for example like it's an open secret obviously on aws that you get more um i can't remember which slider you get whether it's for the cpu or for the ram but if you maxed it out it makes it, it gives you yeah it gives you more virtual cores so it makes it go quicker depending on what language you're using yeah so sometimes it's better to bash the slider all the way and it actually executes quicker and costs you less so we kind of obviously optimize. We, we tried a few different settings to work out which one was the best one. So, I mean, you're right there. There's obviously an, an angle for optimization, right? Um, but yeah, it's exciting to to think of like how much more accessible that could get, and especially you know, again, how much better the tooling could get around it. Um, so we're we're at about we're at about an hour and ten, which is when we usually start thinking about um, uh, putting the fray to bed. Uh, given our time zone here so um we've we've had a couple of questions for you greg which i like to pick up on before uh we start wrapping up um, well, i have a lot more questions we well yes i was going to do the viewer do you want to do the viewer ones now it's only 10 uh, well from so well did we put those in the the spreadsheet but in, in any mm-hmm. case uh so todd is and this is a brief answer to this one i know uh todd has asked um if a cache has a container registry, there is which, one in the works uh, called Open Open Registry. It's funded by the Akash Foundation or the, or the CAB, actually, Community uh, Awards Board. Um, uh, we, uh, it's ready to go or very very close to completion. And the idea is to have the Open Registry, and it's Akash optimized running on Akash. So to to use that as the official container registry for Akash. And right now we had to still depend on uh, the Docker Hub or any or whatever container registry that's external to Akash. But yes, uh, there is one in the works and it's almost complete. Okay, that's pretty awesome because I think at the moment, like most people, just use GitHub Container Registry and um, you know Docker Hub, right? Um, so one thing that I know that people have been asking for for a long time is um, HTTPS. Uh, capabilities. So I think most people at the moment just use um, Cloudflare uh, to proxy um, to the servers. So is that something that is sort of on the back burner because of the workaround with Cloudflare or is that something that's actively being worked on? It's, uh, it's on the roadmap. Uh, it's actually being worked on right, right now. Is it, is it like something that's a is there you know much higher priorities than that or is that like uh, one of the high priorities it's uh, I think scheduled for either next quarter if I 
not prepared to uh, okay. refresh my memory, cool. but it's it's a priority. Uh, but it's yeah. definitely on the lower side of priority because people use Cloudflare, and Cloudflare gives you a lot more um, functionality. Functionality beyond just HTTPS, right? It gives you DDoS protection, uh, yeah. which is a which is a pretty helpful um, you know feature. Uh, but again, but it introduces centralization, right? So we are aware of the of the of, of what's going on. Um, but yeah, uh, it's in the works. Hopefully, that'll be ready in another three months. But we do have GPUs as a top tier priority, right? Um, um, and uh, when you're talking about like running validators, I mean, Akash costs what ninety percent cheaper now than Amazon, roughly for the high end boxes, right? Eighty yeah. to ninety percent cheaper. That's crazy. And there's also something called um, Omnibus, uh, Cosmos Omnibus, um, that gives you a lot of fault tolerance uh, scripts and whatnot. Uh, mind you, Akash is a very, very self-hosted model and doesn't have all the bells and whistles uh, that you get with Amazon, especially fault tolerance and like auto scaling and whatnot. So you have to end up writing a lot of these things yourself. Um, so like if you're an auto scaler, you you monitor on chain. If you're you, know, you monitor performance, if it goes on offline, maybe even have a smart contract in Juno that'll do it. Uh, so there is still a lot of work that we're uh, that needs to be done to host. But the advantage you get is like a very fine grained pricing model that's twenty that's eighty percent cheaper. Um, then uh, and and soon enough we're going to talking about Juno. We're going to um, in the next upgrade, which is much sooner, uh, within the next month at least. We're going to enable interchain uh, accounts. So with that, you'll be able to use your Juno account uh, to deploy directly on Akash. And you don't need an Akash wallet, um, and uh, that Juno account will own the uh, own the deployment. It's great when you have a DAO, right? Because a DAO can own the uh, own the uh, web app or whatever you're using. If, say if you're on a matrix server with element frontend to have your own Slack that's completely sovereign to you and fully decentralized that you own completely, right? And you don't want to deal with a credit card uh, or, or put it on Amazon. You can use your Juno account, fund your fund the deployment using your Juno account directly on Akash. We so we're actually I, waiting for that functionality. But so there's a project that that I'm working on with some other very smart people uh, called Howl, um, which I because of my pronunciation. H O W L, Hal, Hal, not Hal nine thousand, uh, <laughs> what a lot of people think. Um, but it's 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 sort of governed by by a main DAO, and that DAO is the goal. We're kind of hoping that that feature will be ready for us to sort of kick the tires of it to get the how the Howl DAO. How <laughs> to, uh, to, yeah, how how with the how um, to uh, to actually host um, itself on a cache if you like and pay for its own hosting out of its development fund because it's you know it's only a the the main front end is only sort of you know React it's not a hugely expensive service to run so if we can work out a way of putting on a cache it's going to cost even less and it can sort of pay for itself and support itself. And that that is kind of really interesting to us as an idea of making the actual separating out the running of the service from the development of it. It's maybe all the way back to what we were talking about with the validator set and core teams and how much trust you have. You know, as soon as you give the community the ability or the DAO the ability to run its own code, it can kind of turn around and say, well, we don't like the direction the developers have taken might take it a different direction actually lads and 
okay, maybe we're rugging ourselves by looking at doing that, but I think it's like an interesting, uh, you know, development of how you can do things, right? Yeah, it's great, right? I mean, mm-hmm. like it's, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I think that should be the way to go. I mean, you should, your, your member should control your code and what that's, goes on to the, in that should be voted upon using governance. That's, uh, yeah, I think that's really exciting. And I hope that the DowDow tooling advances to a point where you can make deployments through um, voting. That'll be pretty awesome. Yeah, I um, think that's, that's that's being discussed right now. There's a PR somewhere with... Uh, with um, um, DowDow. Yeah. I think Interchange Accounts is part of the IBC 3.1, is it? Or, or don't remember correctly, but... Yeah, so it has to go, I think from Juno's point of view, the interchain accounts is dependent on an upstream uh, it going into a uh, fix going into Wasm. Uh, sorry, not Wasm. Uh, Wasm. So X, X Wasm, the Cosm Wasm module. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's going to happen um, pretty soon. Like I, I gather Ethan and, and Simon were talking about it. So um, it, it is soon TM. So, Greg, um, you did mention uh, Cosmos Omnibus, um, which is mostly maintained, I think, by Tom. Um, Tom Leon. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. Everyone, uh, make sure you delegate to him on certainly on a cache and the other chains. On he's lately been contributing a lot and starting up uh, validators, but um, he's been working on Cosmos Omnibus for a very long time, um, and. Uh, I don't know how he keeps so much of that up to date. He's all over most chains, and there's a couple of other contributors in there as well. Um, I but I think- for Omnibus becoming a DAO. I think Omnibus has a sort of like the best scenario because they maintain the snapshots, they maintain the code, they maintain the uh, uh, scalability and fault tolerance scripts. They maintain all that. I think that should be like that could be a good source of truth. So I think one of the problems, a DAO would be awesome. Do, do, are you saying they're already maintaining snapshots? They are. Okay, that's awesome. That's that's snapshots a new development. Like Georgia or something that you can download. Um, I know that um, the uh, storage was always a problem there. So now that there's, um, you know, a persistent storage now, right, then that might be both mm-hmm. a lot better now for uh, management of those um, nodes. I'm not sure if there's an integration there yet. But there's, certainly- also, there's also a discussion to run. So I think we're using either Storge or uh, uh, for your archives, Storge or, or, or Saya. There's even a discussion to run a local uh, gateway servers in in, uh, in in local Akash, uh, you know, providers. Mm-hmm. We're running the gateway servers for these storage network. So your download speeds are going to be hyper, really, really um, low. I mean, high high download speeds and, and Sure so enough. historically, the keys were kept on um, S3, uh, but these days I think leaning towards you can still use that same um, snapshot. Uh, well, the the same uh, contain like the same code base I think with um, Cosmos Omnibus with very little variation to that to actually use uh, like a um, uh, like a soft sign from an external server like TMKMS. Uh, which sort of eliminates your key storage issues uh, for that, um, which I think is worth a look. Um, but one one other question I had outside of that was uh, it's quite difficult to manage your deployment in terms of um, updating it. 
So one thing that we do at the moment is um, on Juno, we've deployed the junonetwork.io website on a cache. Um, and every time, so it's, it's quite fluid, that website in updates for the ecosystem page where um, various uh, projects add their um, information and then we update the container and then update a cache. So there's no way that I know of at the moment on a cache, and I'm no a cache guru, to um, have a system where you can automatically update from a, a GitHub commit to update your instance. So basically now at the moment the way I've got it set up is if you make a commit or when you tag, same as on um, Cosmos Omnibus, it will create a new container and then you have to manually go and like redeploy the um, the instance. Yep. Is there Has anyone worked on like um, some sort of update from commit yep. situation for React apps? Uh, we do that internally for Akash. Uh, for Akash website, we actually have a Git uh, action that will handle the whole workflow for you. We don't even touch the deployments. But we're going to open source that very quickly. I mean, there's some amount of cleanup that's happening. And uh, we'll open source, we'll Git enable deployments uh, onto Akash. There are two sets of tools that you'll be looking at. Uh, one is a build time. Another one is deploy time, right? So. The build time is building the container and deploy time is taking the container and deploying it. Um, so for build time, uh, if you have a Docker file, great, you use a Docker file for your build. Uh, if not, we can use something called uh, buildpacks.io. Uh, these are literally uh, Heroku build packs uh, that, are, that are community ma managed and that are amazing. Uh, it gives you Heroku like capability, like get pushed, like it handles all the dependencies and all that good stuff, right? For you. So if you have a fresh project that, you know, you haven't built a Docker container yet, and, and building a container is a nightmare, build packs is a great way to do it. Uh, and I have lots of examples and awesome Akash on how to use those build packs. And during the deploy uh, uh, time, uh, using a GitHub action to take your container uh, and you know. Uh, or you can use a GitHub action to in, even in, in invoke the, the build uh, you know, phase as well. But effectively taking the container, creating an SDL file around the container with that particular version, updating it of completely on the background using GitHub actions. Uh, we have that uh, and we'll open source that very soon to, uh, to get a lot of these issues because updating, yeah, I agree 100% with you. It's, it's a pain in the ass. That, that's exciting to me. I don't think I'm not sure if any of these other guys are actually like working with the cache deployments, but that that really excites me because uh, that's one of my biggest um, you know issues with using a cache is if you have a lot of deploy deployments, keeping them up to date with, especially when you you work with like a, a sort of decentralized team like we do on. Um, Juno, someone, if they go and you either have to get set up an alert that someone's tagged something new or, you know, go in and look at the commits and see what they've done and then tag something new when you think it's far enough along and yeah. then go and do the the um, the update, uh, which I use a Cashalytics, which makes it a lot easier than um, nice. using, using really CLI. Right. Yeah, Cashalytics right. is awesome. And we're uh, also working collaboration features, right? Uh, so a lot of new features that are coming in, uh, authentication, using a cache login, essentially, an effective login mechanism. Um, that'll open up uh, collaboration, right? So you can, can effectively build apps on top of cache. Um, 
uh, I mean, using Akash as, a, as an identity provider, and you can add collaboration and you can have an external state on top of Akash, something similar to Terraform, um, where you can have metadata for applications, right? Like metadata is important because it's very high, hard to identify applications right now. Like you just get a, at a, at a big, long string. Um, and challenge decentralized systems is this user experience is just going to be like so decentralized native that you have to rethink on how these applications work. And I'll be making a very announcement very soon about our new head of product. Uh, he uh, he was uh, leading uh, Terraform uh, uh, at HashiCorp, right? So so bringing a lot of former um, you know cloud people, I mean the cloud people uh, into into the mix, people that actually built Terraform. One of the beautiful things about Terraform I liked was it I mean, it's a great automation, but I hated was state synchronization. I believe they have like cloud state synchronization now, but back in the day we used to manually ship the state if you want to collaborate, right? But anyway, we, we, I think the, the cloud product has done quite a bit and we're going to take a lot of lessons from the Terraform cloud to add collaboration, a great for and in a fully decentralized way, right? And great for like teams that are collaborating across across the pond and whatnot, right? I mean, there's a lot of like, just like deployment side of things. Uh, from a user experience uh, side of things that, uh, that that we're focusing heavily on um, while we build the capabilities, right, uh, on the side. So renewed, our, our latest hires are all, like, focused on making the product super simple. And I hate to use the command line. It's just, like, it's so... Um, it's, there are so many steps right now. There are, like, literally 14 steps to deploy something on a cache. Yeah, like, if, if you do it manually, it's yeah, it's a lot of work to like, and then maintain it as well. And you have to keep a lot of information to be able to, um, you know, maintain your deployments. The metadata is hard. Mm-hmm. So I literally have like a like a make file that that uh, you know that I had all my commands under, and the make file also has this gigantic state state file that it. So my make files look like it's embarrassing to to open source my make files because they're just <laughs> they're just crying right now. Like it, it uh, you know, it uses a fi- flat file system to do metadata and whatnot. But we learned a lot uh, and we it, it was important for us to not work on workflows and really focus on like functionality and stabilizing functionality because, uh, you know, if we dictate a workflow, then we limit ourselves. Uh, in, in in terms of creativity, uh, people come up with right. Like Akashlytics wouldn't exist if we made deployment super simple. Right? And yeah. turns out Akashlytics actually done has done a phenomenal job, much better job than what we could with almost no resources. Right, right. And that's the kind mm-hmm. of like commitment uh, we want people to have towards building Akash. And now they're actually doing really well. And we, we learned a lot from them, right? As to how to deploy. And we're, of course, we're hiring people to make things simpler. But, uh, you know, simplicity, uh, removing friction is a large, large part of our work right now. Uh, even with a new command line that, uh, that we'll be coming up with, a deploy command line that's uh, outside of the actual, and a command line that makes, that uh, has opinions, right? Opinion command mm-hmm. line. Because uh, to simplify things, you got to opinionate. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's all pretty exciting. And um, so it sounds like you're still, you know, there's a long roadmap and we're moving through it. I think it's going to, um, as things get easier and more inclusive in features, uh, I think the like 
take up of users will will come along with it um, once I think yeah for a lot of people I think once it becomes just easy to use uh, it'll become prolific if people can just like you know here's the thing click here's the here's the github uh, repo click the button it's done uh, it's up and you know we want five instance instances with a load balancer and you just go do 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 all over Right, yep. right, right. And yeah. like and a good command line experience. I think good command line experience is so integral uh, mm-hmm. to attract yeah. high quality developers. Uh, web UI is great, but I think web UI for me is especially it's a secondary an extension, right? I use web UI to get a bigger picture, but I prefer a command line always. Uh, I well, spend- web, web UI requires like a certain amount of centralization as well in the um, in the workflow. So, oh, I bought some GUI. Like a Kashlytics is a GUI, right? Like yeah, yeah, but it's, yeah. Uh, you download it to your your thing. It's not dependent on like some web server somewhere. Um, it's like a local. Oh, is there's not a web deployment of that? Is it? It's a web based. It's an Electron app basically. Oh, okay, right, right. But the point so, is a, a GUI, right? Uh, forget mm-hmm. that. Yeah, a GUI, yeah. A GUI is definitely a complementary, right? You can you'll be able to do, um, like I think you should be able to do thinks very quickly using command line and you got to use a GUI if you need to see a bigger or compare things, right? Like logs, for example. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm a big grep person, right? I want my greps. I want my filtering <laughs> capabilities like right on the command line, right? But if I do want to share the logs, I should be able to do that using a GUI, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or if you want to collaborate with other people, I want to be able to use GUI. Maybe I just want to deploy once and just click a button. I want to use a GUI, but you know things like that, right? Uh, but if I want to do anything advanced, I'd rather prefer a command line. A command line, a good command line, because it's part of the workflow, right? Like you're developing. I'm, I use Vim, my my workflow. I use Vim to write code, yep. and I should be able to exit that Vim or stay in that context and deploy immediately from that Vim, right? Mm-hmm. Go to a website and open that because that that's a it's a whole different experience and a whole different context you're switching. Well, it sounds like you're hired from Terraform is in the same similar mindset, right? Terraform absolutely follows that same type of structure where command line first, command line first, and then GUI. There is some GUI to be able to support that, and there's some third party tools that help support that. But that command line, straightforward, reusable, right? I love HashiCode tool in general. The, the yeah. way uh, like Mitch Hashimoto, founder, has, I mean, had a lot of influence in my way of designing command lines, right? Like Akash command line uh, is 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 a crime because we, we we literally took the Cosmos SDK modules because it gives you all these like Cobra modules that you just plug in, right? Uh, and you you get all the functionality. So we didn't want to like mess with that. And so we have we couldn't do anything beyond that we want to see in the command line. So, uh, but a command line we're building right now from scratch that doesn't inherit the SDK mm-hmm. uh, functions, but essentially uh, is designed to t- do deployments only and not anything else. Uh, the other ancillary functionality that you get with your, your chain management and whatnot, right? So a deployment first, a very HashiCode inspired, uh, you know, look and feel or experience. We, we're hiring people from HashiCode to even help us to do this stuff, right? So, yep. but also if you know any good command line developers, they're very, very hard to find, by the way. Like they're like almost UX people for the command line, you know? Uh, if you know any anybody anybody out there that's good at command line, please come talk to me. I love command line. Look at my GitHub uh, Personally, uh, any repository that I have uh, over a thousand stars uh, is all command line work. So I've written 
And also, Mitch, Mitch Hashimoto uses my command line libraries, which is which I take with, with you know, which is my biggest flex. So because I consider him to to be the master of command lines, right? Uh, so I love command lines, uh, and uh, I will support your command line, you know, aspirations. Like if you want to design a kick-ass command line, come talk to me. Uh, right? So yeah. All right. Well, um, thanks for indulging me. My questions. I guess uh, now we should let uh, the fray wrap up. It's probably getting very, very late over there now. It is now very late here. Uh, so yeah, um, we always do. We always do a round robin on the final question, Greg. Just to just to wrap up, which is, what are you most excited about this week in the cosmos coming up? <laughs> well, I've been so ingrained. <laughs> in like uh, Akash testnet. Uh, this week, uh, actually, we have uh, quite a few new providers coming out in Akash, all providing persistent storage. And we are uh, having ThorChain um, uh, validator run on Akash. It'll be the first real big validator. ThorChain only has 21 validators. And uh, they've been very kind enough to to delegate foundation delegations to, to running on Akash because as you know, a lot of the Thorchain nodes are run on AWS and GCP, hmm. uh, which they're not happy about, and they, they're getting a lot of flack in the community. So I, I'll be working on it's my first Thorchain, uh, first validator I'll be running in production um, myself. I mean, a lot of people run validators on Akash, and all the proceeds that we get uh, from validating Thorchain, we go back to the community. So we'll probably put that on a, on a community pool and the community decide if they want the tokens to be distributed to themselves or burned or whatever. Um, so it'll be fully community run, uh, you know, running on a cache, uh, uh, a very publicly run validator and see how that happens. So I'll be joining uh, the validator set, I suppose. <laughs> nice. Awesome. <laughs> the setting uh, in the June, uh, yeah, you're prop twenty one, I suppose. That's that's is the most exciting. <laughs> is it more upgrades? <laughs> more upgrades, right? It's more, more getting up at three a.m. It's most something. I'm not sure. Exciting is it? But I feel like I'm so disconnected these days uh, from community at large, and what's exciting, what's not, especially the mainnet and the, the upgrades and all these crazy things happening in Akash. I think uh, being being like a you know, such an integral part of a big, big project sort of limits your scope to what you can pay attention to. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, sorry, the fray. What, what are you thinking, mate? Uh, I'm most excited about getting my taxes done. Um, because <laughs> it's, it's, it's like five, five days or something beyond the end of the tax year. And, uh, everybody involved is going, Hey man, where are the spreadsheets and saying, Hey, there's been 10 weeks of drama and I am, I am also the book company bookkeeper and we're three months behind. Nobody buys that. They say, well, get it done so i'm looking forward to that being done so i can get back to writing some code that would be pretty cool I um had mine done two weeks ago the april 15th april 18th is our deadline here right yeah april 30th here so um so yeah I mean, to be fair they don't have to be filed for ages it's just that your accountants as soon as they as soon as they crack it out then their job's done then they can invoice you and you're done um so i know right just invoice me right yeah. <laughs> i know right well, 
especially in our case because the crypto is so complicated they they're basically like you provide us the spreadsheets then we will work it out and i'm like i'm pretty sure the harder bit is the bit that we're doing not the bit that you're doing but you know um nevertheless nevertheless <laughs> i'm looking forward to getting that out of the way there's quite a few exciting test nets coming up actually which uh the defund one which is like a uh, etf Mm. Uh, ETF in the Cosmos space, I think, is really interesting. I'd like a- to dropping to our cash holders. I hear. So I'm quite interested in getting involved from in that test net. Maybe if I have time, and there's uh, oh, there's something. There's one other that I think a couple of the other folks on this uh, call are. There's one other interesting project that I saw this week and was like, "Oh, that's kind of oh." Also, Quicksilver is. I think mm. just test that start the Quicksilver. That's quite exciting. Um, and, and back to your point about Tom from EcoStake being a great person, the Cosmos Interchain UK meetup, he's talking at the one in June, as mm. is Joe from Quicksilver. So nice. Oh, very good. There as well. Cool guy, cool project. Which one am I talking about? Could be both. Um, anyway. Talk about meetups. Um, I, I go and hack with, uh, with uh, Juno folks quite a bit here uh, in San Francisco. Um, yeah, because you know me out. I hack here and there, but like, but every Saturday they they come together at a cafe, um, and then they hack together. It felt very pure. Would <laughs> right? that be? Uh, are you talking about like Jake and Noah and Zeke? Jake, um, I only saw Jake, and Dan Lynch is, is, is a good friend, and mm. Dan and Jake, and uh, there are a bunch of other. I mean, I saw like ten to fifteen people. All building cool things. Uh, I used to do that quite a lot in 20, 2010, 2011 timeframe during my angel hack days. And like the mission coffee shop hacking on a Saturday is a very pure endeavor. Uh, I think uh, we're going to, we're actually opening our office here, a big one, uh, hopefully in the area, in the mission area. Uh, it's pretty much the same thing. The idea is to, uh, to invite Cosmos, uh, you know, contributors or Cosmos, anything, if you're working on a Cosmos ecosystem, doesn't matter what project, you should be able to come and hack with us. So I'm going to make it, make it a thing and I'm going to make it uh, very accessible to, um, very accessible to, you know, uh, ecosystem projects. Need, need some hot offices for us bloody validator plebs when we're getting around. <laughs> <laughs> if you're in San Francisco, if you're a validator, you can, you can use uh, our office. Is there a cotton bag? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I think yeah, like offices are sort of becoming back in vogue now, right? After the it's fun uh, to hack with people. <laughs> really fun to hack with people. So know? something um, interesting that the Dowdow guys do um, is that they they just uh, sometimes jump into like the Discord stream, and you know it's not organised or anything. It's just a couple of them will want to work on something, and they just jump in there and stream it publicly. Publicly. You can go in there and watch what they're doing and chat to them, and um, it's a really fun experience for me. Anyway, I'm I'm not like a massive coder, um, and I learn a lot every time I go in there. And those guys are always willing to help me uh, understand what they're doing, which is kind of cool. Probably um, counterproductive for them. <laughs> I don't know if I can code while streaming. I mean, my, well, my I mean, they're, 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 it's, it's you collaborating anyway. Sorry. It's whether you can talk at the same time, right? It's kind of like the whole pair programming thing. Like I find, I've literally, I've literally, you will not take a job if they say pair programming. You got to do it. I'm like, it's sometimes fun. I'll give you that. Actually, pair programming 
especially if your if your peers are the same level as you it's not fun when your peer is not at the same level either higher level or lower level but if you're the same level in terms of experience in like seniority it's a lot of fun because you're like actually exchanging ideas and uh you know and like one person's researching another person's coding you know mm-hmm. or you know and you switch it up it's actually a lot of fun i got a lot of work done that way uh, it used to be a thing back in the day but you know it used to be a religion back in the day i hated that but i like yeah. pairing with like my peers but but now yeah. mob programming which is just another <laughs> like another escalation of this stupidity in my opinion but that's that's i've given enough hot takes today uh, I well, in, in this instance they, they were working in like uis so i guess they were just you know talking about how it looks and then just changing stuff and talking yeah, about how it looks, yeah. changing stuff and talking it's, about how it looks like probably, iterating it's like voluntary pairing or mobbing isn't it like i mean i think the problem i think the problem is that you if you work in the industry and you do this stuff long enough anything that people spontaneously do because they have a couple of people who they know and trust and they like, and they want to do work in that way, they'll work that way and be incredibly productive because you can't replicate that experience of working with people you like and trust and respect and work well with in the way that you want to work with them. And then people see that and they go, ah, the thing that must be good about that is that there were four people on the stream, not, oh, they're motivated to build this thing because it's a lot more interesting in building another fucking web shop. Mm-hmm whatever it is you do for a big company right and so they go right thou shalt work in fours and you, and if you're if you're a developer in particularly like so my background is functional programming so i am a already a spiky character on some teams because the, my design patterns the way i do stuff the way i think about problems is very different and opinionated and also because i've quite often been like a lead or whatever as well so i can be a little bit like have you thought about this and maybe we're going to do it this way use common lisp <laughs> uh i mean well i mean but as you can see from my name on the thing i, I am actually a lisper and i've spent the most of my career in this, so um but uh, you know that said like you end up in this situation where you're like okay well you don't want to um yeah the, the reason the reason that the solution that you come up with here might be better is actually because of the clarity of your thinking it's not because of like working in a four or whatever and again, like it can be quite difficult to communicate other than with a working solution, why an approach is better. Like a really good example of this would be um, things like in, uh, reduction, re- reduce, uh, elimination of intermediate collections if you're using map iteration and reduce. So if you're used to functional programming, you have the idea that you, uh, and Rust, uh, Rust has this, so relevant smart contracts, is that you have lazy evaluation, right? So, uh, you know, just like uh, this idea ended up in Apache Spark, right? It's the foundation of modern data processing, which is that you lay out everything you want to happen and it doesn't happen until you fold. Right. And you do like a right fold or a left fold or whatever, but like a reduction operation or an action or a a collect or, you know, however your language does this, you know? Um, And there's a whole bunch of different ways you can approach any given problem and it's quite hard sometimes to communicate though i, I don't know what i agree with i mean i totally know what you mean like, totally <laughs> know. like when you're doing stuff like that you, it, you get so ingrained into that the map reduces like two to especially with, with the functional you're multiple levels deep and you're like five levels deep it's hard to talk and hard to explain right right that's i, I think understand. that's exactly it isn't it it's like whether you can stream and talk and also communicate with somebody else when you're 
you, yeah. you're filling your idea space with these things. And I think some also, I mean, I think, you know, the philosophy of programming languages, some programming languages are geared towards lone wolf programming mm -hmm. because they give you much more expressivity, much more terseness at the expense of being less readable. I mean, nobody's going to argue Haskell is more readable than Go, right? But you can probably write an, a 40,000 line uh, Go program in like four lines, 40 lines or something. Yeah, like 40 lines of Haskell in some cases. Like, I mean, if you like PureScript is an example where if you see um, like a React application written in PureScript, it can be tiny by mm -hmm. comparison to the React equivalent. And ClojureScript has that property as well. You can have a, a, a multiple less lines than you would in javascript right but it comes at the cost of these languages aren't they have extra inherent complexity because you can you have all these additional language structures like juxt and you know whatever that are just quite alien like writing know? calculus yeah. <laughs> right so, so, I, sorry i was gonna say something house coffee is a place that yeah, I was going to say, I think Callum is uh, one of the gents who uh, frequents horse, horse, horse coffee, coffee from, from uh, the Dowdow guys. Sorry, that was a bit of an interruption. It's a really cool uh, group. Uh, if you know San Francisco, I highly recommend the hacking with them. Um, so, uh, sorry, the fray, did you have any more to add? Or uh... I, I, I should not be adding any more to <laughs> any, any, any more fuel to the, to the functional programming fire or the, uh, what's it called, fire, the pair programming fire. So I'm going to shut up. and Because, yeah, I mean, you say you tried and then talk for like literally an hour. By yourself. Yeah. Always, late, always late in show, it turns extremely technical from the fray, right? Like, uh, start getting to some real it's like a symptom of him being tired it's just... i think it is like you're, all the, all the filters go off i just start talking code like if we let I'm you a, go I'm you just start speaking right? assembly yeah I, exactly. I do my best work like traditionally like at, at the point is you know you have like 90 minute sleep cycles yeah yep. i have my, my most productive period i think when i'm just on the crest down towards literally falling asleep in my chair um <laughs> So, so I think it's probably that like this time in the morning, in fact, this is exact. you know what it's one of my sleep cycles hits almost exactly at midnight. So I'm actually probably about 10 minutes after the end of a, a fatigue point. So I'm probably coming back up. <laughs> hey. There you go. I, I, we, we I go think longer. my most productive time is fast becoming 3am. I started just be. waking up at like 2.30 and just rising like a friggin' like a vampire out of my casket just like directly straight up <laughs> did i miss uh, an upgrade okay so usurper what are you excited about next week in cosmos uh this week i'm moving all my stuff to akash that's number one anything nice. that's not akash is going to akash uh i i really appreciate this hold the phone that was a bit that's of a great. what's going to akash anything that i have <laughs> like uh in terms of web hosting or yes anything outside of well right now valid validators I, I need really need to look more at that because we run a pretty large colo structure but we use some cloud services and things like that but i haven't really got to that point about running nodes but we, ru we run a tremendous number of non-validator nodes right um and and to be able to reduce the cost of that and be able to, to be able to there's they are ephemeral right now those are things that that have uptime but are not exactly necessary in terms of um in terms of um of state right now which i know is coming but right 
um, so web hosting and things like that. Having been, sorry, have, having been a user of Cosmos Omnibus, yeah, um, for regular nodes, it is very good, um, even without like, you know, if you're coming in from a say a Pokachu um, snapshot or one of their maintained snapshots, I'm not sure how prune they are, how um, you know small they are, mm-hmm. but. Um, Man, it's you're you're up. You can point stuff to it, and you're off. Uh, you just want to, you know, tune your resources so they don't get nuked when someone starts hitting them on the RPC port. But I think you'll have a very good time if you want to try and move some of your um, resource into a cache. And I'd be happy to like give you a, um, a bloody pointer on on um, Omnibus, which is yeah. it's super easy to use anyway. I'm Fun sure. fact. I yep. made the uh, the the PR on that for the Juno edition when Juno first started. There you go. And Adam, the um, Libwasm, which wasn't working on um, Omnibus at the time. That's my awesome. contribution. <laughs> Delegate to King Notes. Isn't, uh, isn't um, and, and, uh, Usurper, uh, yes. if you're moving your stuff to Akash, and if you want to, dele- if you want to validate on Akash, if you're not only about Actors Head, uh, we'll do the delegation because one of the requirements is like if you're running on Akash, if you're a validator, you get a higher chance of delegation. So talk to me. All right, I like that. Um, um, I, do well, that. I think away away from all that, like the, you know, we're all in on the cosmos, and we have a, a tremendous amount of of um, positive energy towards projects that are going on. And I think the projects, to me personally, as a as somebody who runs a, a small business within the cosmos, an independent validator, ones that make the most that that call to me the most are extremely effective and you utilitarian projects that use blockchain as a method of incentive. And that's kind of how I got involved in blockchain and and not so much just around the DeFi structure of things, but how do I build, it's impossible to build a a future vision around a a really grandiose structure without either an absolute shit ton of cash or a way to be able to incentivize tens or thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of people to be able to buy in that vision. And I think blockchain and I think the cosmos, especially with low gas fees and a, a low barrier of entry and everything else is the right tool set to build a tremendous amount of incentive, incentivizing around specific ideas. And this is a great idea to build incentivizing around. And it's just a worthy cause to be able to do that. And so I didn't understand, I didn't really know the history and going all the way back to 2013. I think that's fascinating. Um, around how this vision, it wasn't, it wasn't a cosmos-based vision, right? It was a vision around how to be able to solve a very complex and fairly scalable project a problem. And then really kind of fate brought you together with a tool set that allows you to get a partial of the way there, right? Yeah. Um, so anything to do to support that, man, that's awesome. Like that, that's something that's a, a worthwhile thing. So um, that's, that's one thing this week. Um, otherwise... Oh, let's see. Um, boy, that was a lot. <laughs> I think outside of that, I, we have um, no. I think that's. I think that's it for me. Actually, this week. that's a that's a great goal for this week, and something I'm excited about about making some changes to. Nice, Schultzy. Awesome. Uh, I'm excited about the secret upgrade next week, uh, and especially with the soft that's going to be joining us next week. Uh, more or less during the upgrade, I'm really curious as to how it's going to go down. Is he going to end up folding out because there's an upgrade to manage? Who knows? But I'm excited for it one way or another. It'll be uh, that'll be, I think, mine and Blockpain's first uh, secret network upgrade. 
So uh, I love the names they come up with for those upgrades, by the way. Yeah, no, they put they put some good effort into the marketing side of it for sure. Um, so I think that leaves us with me. Uh, I'm excited about like upgrading some security around my nodes. So we're moving entirely to TMKMS um, as an interim measure uh, until we're more comfortable with uh, Horcrux and deploying Horcrux. So. I'm a little bit reluctant on Horcrux at, at the moment um, from reading an issue that someone else had where they, they double signed. Um, so making sure that we're outside of that narrative um, when we are ready to, to deploy Horcrux. But I think that um, TMKMS is a, a good interim step to make sure that our nodes are completely uh, key-free um, and that every, all our signing material is completely firewalled off and secure. So. TMKMS is remote signer, right? Sorry, is TMKMS a remote signer? Remote signer, yeah. So yeah. that's what I was saying. Yeah. I think I think TM TMKMS is actually a good fit for Cosmos Omnibus. Yeah, uh, because at mm-hmm. the moment you pretty much have to keep your signing material on S3 storage the way it's set up, which is a little bit. Um, it's probably but well, I mean, it adds a, a vector that people could um, get to. It's, it's just another thing to manage in terms of security, I suppose, if you're trying to run an actual validator. But um, like I was saying, the, the way Cosmos Omnibus is set up, um, you would have to rejigger some of the scripting and possibly... Well, actually, that's not entirely true because you can um, actually set environment variables for um, your uh, config files. So it probably would then, in that case, be very easy uh, it'd be nice if you could create some automation um, to link the deployment uh, address that you're assigned after you deploy to automatically update your signer. Uh, that'd be fun. We've been looking at uh, TMKMS. I, I think we should use TMKMS. It's amazing. Uh, uh, well, I mean, really, it, it is already an option for anyone who wants use uh, omnibus because of the environment variable configuration so it's it's just another line well it's two lines one to turn off your um local key uh you and then you just wouldn't add tmkms uh uh, sorry you just wouldn't add s3 um and then uh point towards your um well allow your tmkms ip so which kind of i think no yeah so i think that would work just fine um but just linking that on the TMKMS side of things, uh, I think in an automated way would be pretty handy. Yeah, we should at least uh, add some examples there, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, anyway, that that wraps it for me. Did you want to uh, walk us out, Lefray? You haven't cut me off yet. It's been it's amazing. Yeah, no, I I've, I've spent a few weeks kind of. Um, <laughs> basically trolling you too aggressively and i kind of feel bad for it so 